God is good all the time. It's so good to be with you this, this weekend. We are who we are on our knees before God in prayer and nothing more. So, so said uh, McShane and his writings on prayer have influenced me this week and we come now to the crescendo of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer we have called it, in which we ask God not to lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. And I wonder, what are your temptations and trials? Thinking about Tallowood together tonight, I noted a recent uh, survey said the number one temptation of Baptists is playing the game Bunko, <laughs> followed closely by eating barbecue and cobbler. So um, this is the perfect sermon for this weekend, lead us not into temptation um, beyond our Pharisaism. I have to tell you years ago um, when Bunko was uh, all the rage in the 90s, which seems like not long ago, but it turns out it's a good while ago. And in the 90s, the rage in Austin, Texas was bunco groups. And we had several of them in our church. Young uh, ladies in our church were playing and Melanie, uh, alas, got swept away in the, uh, in the temptation. And um, so she would go periodically and, and uh, she would spend money and come back with prizes. And I said, that sounds like gambling. And she said, no, no, it's not gambling because you, you pay the money ahead and then later you get the prizes the next week. And it's just, it's definitely not gambling. And I came home one night and I walked into my living room having forgotten that they were gathering at our house that night. And there were ladies all over my living room throwing dice, you know, and <laughs> mama needs some new shoes, seven come 11. I don't know what they were playing, but I stood on the stairs and in my prophetic best, I said to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer, <laughs> but you have turned it into a den of iniquity. <laughs> and they said, go on upstairs and watch the kids. And so I did. You know, life would be easy if our temptations were as simple as bunko and barbecue. I think Jesus had more in mind when he taught us to pray. But I read this week a, a real survey, a study in 2011 that um, people identified their temptations uh, either often or sometimes they struggled with these. Uh, 60%, uh, the number one answer, worrying or being anxious. I would guess somebody here struggles with that procrastinating, putting things off, eating too much, coming back to the barbecue and cobbler, um, spending too much time on media, being lazy, spending more money than they could afford. Now here's where it gets, I think, more interesting and a bit more damaging, gossiping about others, being jealous or envious of others, 24%, viewing pornography or sexually explicit material. I think that number's too low. I think it's an epidemic in our culture. Abusing alcohol or drugs, 11% confessed to that. But the most telling statistic for me was when they asked uh, if they were trying to do anything specific to overcome that temptation, 41% said yes, 59% said no. And I read that and thought, so we all know we have problems but only 41% of us have a plan. Thankfully, God has a plan. And his plan 
involves prayer. Would you open your Bibles with me one more time? Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord together. Matthew 6, verse 9. Next week, don't miss the blessing next week. Don't miss it. Matthew 6, verse 9. Would you just read it with me this morning? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You may be seated. So now that we're enrolled in Christ's school of prayer, we might as well finish the course. And nobody's going to graduate this morning because this is a lifelong learning adventure in prayer. And those of us who think we are best at prayer are most likely still amateurs in prayer. We have not arrived in this business of prayer. We are still learning, still growing in Christ's school of prayer. And he is teaching us about prayer. And what he has taught us in these weeks, if we could just review, is, is that prayer is about God. And it begins with God. It begins with with God's name and with God's rule and with God's will. And if we can start there, then our prayers don't get upside down and start with us where we present God these exhaustive and exhausting lists of all the things that we want. And in praying the disciples' prayer, we learn that we are not users of God, but we are servants of God who are committed to his name and his rule and his will. Here's the difference and here's how you can tell how we're progressing in prayer. If we still think that prayer is about us telling God what we want and him giving us what we've asked for and if he doesn't then we're disillusioned with him, then we misunderstand the very first words, our father, because our father knows us and he knows our needs and he is committed to meeting our needs and in fact, he himself is the answer for our needs. So when we pray for bread and for forgiveness and for deliverance, what we are acknowledging is the very triune nature of God, the father, the creator who gives bread to his children as he gave manna to the children of Israel in the wilderness and the son crucified on the cross. Who can forget the flavor of the bread and the cup that we partook of last weekend as we rooted ourselves not in yesterday's news but in 2,000 years of tradition of the people of God remembering Christ's death on the cross which is sufficient, sufficient to forgive us of all of our debts and then the God the Father and God the Son and then God the Holy Spirit who meets our moral needs, who leads us not into temptation, but delivers us from evil. And the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, not only tells us something about God, but it tells us something about us, that we can become the children of God, adopted into his family. I don't know about your family, but the adopted kids in our family, they are full partakers of all the rights of the family of the Brooks. They, they are in the will. They are absolutely part of the family. And this is who we are. We have all that, that belongs to Christ belongs 
belongs to us because we've been adopted, because we've been accepted in the beloved. This is who we are. And to the core, we need God's guidance and his deliverance. And the good news is our God is both a leader and a rescuer. And this last verse, verse 13, helps us to come to this truth that we pray. And as soon as we see it, we say, but isn't God already committed? Why do I even have to pray this? Isn't he not going to lead me into temptation? Isn't he going to deliver me from evil? But here's the deal about praying verse 13. We are telling God that we are on the team. We are inviting him in. We are, we are aligning ourselves with his purpose. We are accessing his power. When we say, oh God, our father, lead us not into temptation. We are saying, God, you are our leader and we have no leader but you and we will follow you. We will follow you who led your children through the wilderness by a pillar of, of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. God has always been a leader. And David would write in Psalm 23, he leads me. I sang as a child, did you? He leadeth me. He leadeth me by his own hand. He leadeth me, his faithful follower I would be for by his hand God leadeth me and Evie Hill used to say so eloquently to get through this life you don't need a map you need a guide and the Holy Spirit is our guide he is our counselor he will lead us into all truth and he has promised that and not one of God's good promises to his people Joshua wrote has ever failed this is the God who leads us no wonder Robert Murray McShane said I must meet God before I meet with anybody else if I stay up late at night he said back in the early 1800s he said if I stay up late at night and don't get to my prayer till midday then I have already met with my family and things don't go well when I meet with my family before I meet with my God. Logan and Jenny Atnip who lived and ministered among us had a practice in their lives of opening their Bibles. They would sit down at the same table with breakfast and open their Bibles and talk to God for 30 minutes before they ever talked to each other. Luther said he spent his best three hours of the day in prayer. Robert Murray McShane, 23rd of February, 1834. He was 30 years old and he said, as Jesus rose early before the day, as um, the scriptures teach us in David's words, early will I seek you. I rose early in the morning to pray and found the one whom my soul loves. And it was worth getting up early to meet with the one whom my soul loves. We need his direction. And when we pray this, we're just saying, God, you are our leader. And we're saying more. We're saying we are your followers. Lead us not. We need to learn that word not. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, learn to say no. It will be better to you than being able to translate Latin. If you can learn just to say no, lead us not into temptation. And as I read this, we 
Remember James chapter one, verse 13 says, God doesn't tempt anybody. He can't be tempted. He doesn't tempt anybody. You should know that the same Greek word for tempt is the word for try, temptation, trial, perosmos is the word. And uh, James goes on to say in James chapter one, actually before that, he says that trials can be good, that God can work through trials. Look, events happen in our lives and God will test our faith and grow our faith. And the enemy would like to destroy us through those trials and God uses those trials to draw us near to himself. This is the way God is working. And maybe the best understanding of lead us not into temptation is to understand that what we're really saying is, God, don't let me succumb to this. Don't let me be defeated by this. There are many great passages of scripture on temptation. One, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 13, which says, your temptations are not like, are not unlike other people's temptations. In fact, um, in fact, Christ was tempted as we are. And he goes on to teach us in that, that every time we're tempted, God will give us a way out. I thought about that this week and I thought about my memories of being tempted and how as far as I can remember, every time God gave me an escape, I didn't always take the escape. But looking back, there was always an exit if I had just taken the exit. And we need to learn to take the exit. When our boys were small, we used to read to them books about frog and toad. They're not quite as good as Dr. Seuss, but maybe not classics, but they they were good. And and one day um, Toad made some cookies and took them over to Frog's house and and said, these are the best cookies I've ever made. And they both agreed and they were eating and they said, we're going to eat so much that we get sick. And Frog was more worried about it than Toad was. And Frog said, well, maybe, maybe we should stop. Maybe we should eat one last cookie. And so they ate one last cookie. And then they looked at each other and said, maybe we should eat one very last cookie. And so does this happen at your house? So they ate one very last cookie and Frog was even more concerned. And he said, well, let's just put them in a box. And Toad said, but we can open the box. And Frog said, well, we could tie a rope around, a, a string around the box. And, and Toad said, we could cut the string. <laughs> and so finally in the box with the string around them, a Frog climbed the ladder and put it on the highest shelf in the kitchen and came down and said, there, now we have no more problems with cookies. And Toad said what we know, we can climb the ladder, we can cut the string and we can open the box. So Frog did and walked out the door and said, birds, here's cookies And birds came from everywhere and took the cookies and Toad lamented, now we have no more cookies. And Frog said, but we have lots of willpower. What is willpower? Willpower is is the strength to, to not do what you want to do. And Toad said, you can have your willpower. I'm going to go and bake a cake. Well, see, here's the problem. There are exits, but we don't often take the exits. And, and, and th- there is something to be said for praying at the beginning of the day, God, you're my leader and I'm your follower and I'm going to do what you want me to do. And the good news is our guide is good at this. Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 and 16. We don't have a high priest who's unable But our high priest is able, why? Because he's been tempted in every way that we have been tempted, yet without sin. So that, here's the prayer, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can find mercy and help in our time of need. 
the one who is helping us overcome temptation is the very same one who three times defeated Satan in the wilderness, Matthew chapter four. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, surely knowing that he would be tempted there, but also he found victory there, quoting scripture to Satan and finding victory. And it is that very victory that you and I appropriate when we pray. In the disciples' prayer, we are asking God for direction. In the disciples' prayer, we are asking God for deliverance, for rescue, for God to save us because this is who God is. He saves his children. I was reminded of Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, when the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were threatened with the fiery furnace if they would not bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar and, and they refused and their, their words were very simple. Our God is able to deliver us but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down to your statue. And I thought about the idols in our world that would call our hearts away from God. Idols of materialism, idols of sensualism, idols of sport. David, David Platt is preaching this weekend saying, sports are a good gift from God until they become idols that become our consuming passion. Brian Haynes, one of the young pastors from our daughter church, Kingsland, who's gone to be a pastor in the southeastern part of the Houston area, wrote yesterday, now, after all the football games are done, will the people of God bring even greater enthusiasm into their worship of God than they brought to following their favorite team? I retweeted his tweet because it is right at the heart of truth. In recent weeks, we've um, had funerals for people in their 90s and for people in their 50s and for people in their 20s. And Larry and I were talking about this. Not all funerals are the same. They're not all the same. Because there are funerals for people in their 90s that are nothing short of, of triumph. Mary Park Caldwell, I mean, uh, nine and a half plus decades of serving God. There's no regret. Her husband said, don't just make it a celebration, make it a party. Gordon said, we ought to have a party. And we ought to have a party when great saints of God go marching in. We ought to, we ought to, I mean, we ought to have New Orleans brass kind of party, you know, when the saints go marching in. But when it's a 24-year-old who's killed in an accident because of, of abuse of alcohol, there's no triumph in that. There's tragedy in that. And I am finished and done with the theologians, the would-be theologians who come up and say, well, it was their time. In their 20s, it was their time. No, it wasn't their time. And the truth is God has a plan and God can deliver us and we need to find his plan and take the exit and the abuse of alcohol and drugs, only 11% on the survey. But I've done, in my 32 years of pastoring, too many funerals for teenagers and 20-somethings who were caught up in the temptation and the evil of alcohol and drug abuse. And if I, for the rest of my ministry, didn't do another funeral for somebody in their teens or 20s or 50s because of alcohol and drugs, I would be just fine with that. 
And the word of God says that our God is able to deliver us. And as he delivered the three Hebrew children from the fiery furnace, he can deliver us from the fires of passion, from the fires of temptation, if we will be delivered. Isaiah said, in repentance and rest and trust is your strength, but you would not have it. But if we would have what God has for us, he would deliver us. And this is not to bring shame or reproach, but to say, starting now to our young people, God has something more for us than the idols of this world could ever give. And it's true. I don't know much about the pleasures of alcohol. I don't, I don't know anything about it, but I can't believe that it's as good as the grace of our God. I cannot believe it. I will not believe it. God has more for us than that. And he says, deliver us from the evil one. Just, I know in our day and age, in the 20th century and 21st century, we have sort of made evil this impersonal principle that's out there. There is evil in the world, somebody will say. But in the Bible, evil is either a descriptor of deeds that people do or of the author of evil himself. Helmut Thielica was, was right about this. There is this dark, mysterious figure where before there is temptation, there is a tempter. If there are lies, there must be a liar. If there, is though, if there are those who are dead and there is bloodshed, then there is the one who is the murderer from the beginning. And he is alive and well. And somebody will say, but pastor, surely you don't believe in a, in a devil. Look, I'm not worried about a guy in red flannel pajamas with little horns and a pitchfork. That doesn't worry me. But I am deeply, deeply concerned about the one who would draw our hearts away from God with idols, the one who would draw our hearts away from our families and call us into a life that is disobedient to God. I am deeply concerned. And I'll just say with Martin Luther, yeah, I believe in a, a personal, powerful, evil one in our world for, for a couple reasons. First of all, because the Bible talks about him. Jesus wasn't talking to himself in Matthew 4 in the wilderness. No, I, I, the Bible talks about him. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6 says, um, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Our, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with Look, there's a hierarchy of evil and Paul outlines that and delineates that and says our only hope is not to, to con confide in our own strength, but in God's strength. No, I believe in the evil one because the scripture talks about him. But I'll tell you another reason, as Martin Luther said, I believe in him because I've done business with him. And I've been to the castle of Artburg and Germany where Luther prayed and did his battle with Satan and seen the ink blot on the wall where he threw his ink well against the apparition of Satan that he perceived in that moment. And, and I come this morning to say there is an evil one, but we do an injustice to the scripture if we think that the evil one that the evil one and God are on the same plane, that if they played in the stadium, it would come out to a draw. We misunderstand. All our God does is win, win, win. He, he is the deliverer from the evil one and he is looking to deliver us 
And I saw a movie some time ago called Taken. I don't recommend every movie. It's pretty intense. I don't recommend the language. I don't recommend everything. My daughter last week watched that clip of, of Sonny shouting at Jesus. And she said, can we do that in church? I'm not sure. I'm not sure we can have that. Are we allowed to have that kind of video in church? Well, no video of Taken today. But there's a, there's a moment where a man whose daughter is stolen for the sex trafficking industry. She's on a trip over in Europe. And this man, played by Liam Neeson, is a retired CIA agent. And he's retired so he can spend more time with his daughter. And then she's taken. She's captured. And he finds the cell phone and contacts the man who's taken her and says, I have a very specific set of gifts and if you will let my daughter, my daughter go right now, I will never come after you. I will never. But if you don't, I have a very particular set of skills and I will find you. I will track you down and I will kill you if you harm my daughter. And thus begins 96 hours of frenetic pace, him trying to find his daughter. And there's that great moment when he finds his daughter. She's been sold into slavery, but he rescues her just in time. And she collapses into his arms and she says, Daddy, you came for me. And he said, I told you I would. Without advocating the movie, can I just say to you, wouldn't it be great to have a father who keeps his promises, who comes to us, deliver us from the evil one. Listen, his is the kingdom, his is the power, his is the glory, and he will come for us. And finally, one more time, Robert Murray McShane, if I could hear Jesus praying for me, I would not fear anything in this world. Good news, 1 John 4, 4. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He is, in fact, praying for us. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. The Father is listening to those prayers. And what he wants is for you and I to align ourselves with his purpose in prayer, to access his power in prayer, Jesus is praying. The Spirit is praying. Let the people of God pray. The Father will listen and we will not lose. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your great power. And we say with Martin Luther, if we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. But the prince of darkness, Graham, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And we know that Jesus is that word. And so we call upon the name of the Lord, believing your word when it says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God, save us because we cannot save ourselves. And we don't have the strength to overcome temptation. But you do. And you have promised to give it if we ask. So we ask. And we set our hearts on you. And we set our minds on you. Because we believe, God, that you are a mighty fortress. That you're a sacred refuge. And that your strength is enough for people like us who need help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.